The year is 1977. The place, New York City. The Bronx. Poor ethnic communities are suffering in the oppression of the political era of the time. Hello and welcome to the Four Colored Nerds Cut the Cord podcast, episode 12. I'm Hannah, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds. Brian. Hell no. And Alistair. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god. That was so bad. (laughs) I know. Hello, and welcome to the Four Color Nerds Cut the Cord podcast, episode 12. I'm Hannah, and I'm joined by some other streaming media nerds, Ryan. Hello. And Alistair. Hello. Together, we take on television for those who have cast off the tyranny of their local cable provider. Each week, we gather here to find a great show to watch from the often overwhelming variety of shows to choose from. We review the prior week's selection, then we pick a new show and do it all over again. This is a review show, so there will be spoilers. This week's show is Netflix's The Get Down. Our companion song is by Herodzin Guardiola. The song is Set Me Free, part of the soundtrack. So let's give it a listen. Yeah, she's not singing about God or Jesus there. No, I like how they sneak that in as being yeah. a church song. It's like, mm-mm, new. <laughs> There's an episode of South Park where Cartman discovers if you take out the ooh baby and lover parts and just replace it with God or Jesus, you have a contemporary Christian song. Oh, yes, yes. Is that when they're with Finger Bang? Yeah, it's when they're in Finger Bang. The show was created by Boz Lurman and Stephen Adley Gurigis. Gurigis's play Between Riverside and Crazy won the 2015 Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It was starring Justice Smith as Ezekiel Viguera, Shamik Moore as Curtis Shaolin Fantastic Anderson, Heretzen F. Guardiola as Mylene Cruz, Jaden Smith as Marcus Dizzy Kipling, Skylin Brooks as Ronald Rara Kipling, Tremaine Brown Jr. as Miles Boo Boo Kipling, Yahya Abdul Mateen II as Clarence Cadillac Caldwell, and Jimmy Smits as Francisco Papa Fuerte Cruz, and Giancarlo Esposito as Pastor Ramon Cruz. And he was Gus Fring from Breaking Bad. And it was narrated by Naz. A short summary. The year is 1977. Disco is two years away from dying, but it is still ruling the airwaves. Our story takes place in the Bronx. And the Bronx itself is burning. Howard Cosell, I think, literally said that during one of the World Series games that year. So just imagine desolation and wreckage all around. Like Detroit. Yes. Like Detroit now. And our main character, Ezekiel Zeke, as he's known to his friends, living with his aunt and her weird boyfriend who doesn't bathe (laughs) and they go to school zeke is a gifted poet and he 
doesn't feel comfortable sharing this gift and he's trying to get with Maylene Cruz who is a beautiful singer and her father is a very strict pastor and the story follows Maylene Cruz's struggle against her father. The oppressive regime. Yes, the oppressive religious regime of no disco and Zeke's rise as integration into the burgeoning hip-hop culture when he meets up with Shaolin Fantastic, who decides that Zeke is going to be his wordsmith, and they recruit the Kipling brothers, Dizzy, Ra-Ra, and Boo-Boo, into their crew. Kind of chronicles, like, their parallel rises in their music. Yeah, it chronicles their parallel rises and how their lives intertwine with one another. The first thing I wanted to talk about was the production that went into this piece, because this is, like, a work of love by Baz Luhrmann and Stephen Gerges. They spent 10 years working on this project from concept to completion, and I think that the amount of detail and work they put into it really shows. They also used a comic book as one of their sort of, like, foundational pieces they used for research, which is Hip Hop Family Tree, which if you listen to our comic book podcast, has been our pick of the week a couple times, been nominated for an Eisner Award. It's basically chronicles, just like this does, the rise of hip hop in great detail and is incredibly fantastic. I recommend everyone check that out. They also took all the actors and put them through a rap boot camp with Grandmaster Flash, Curtis Blow, Naz, so that the actors weren't fake rapping their way through this, that they understood the culture and time that they were supposed to be representing. They knew how to move and speak and actually perform their roles. Like there's no there's no body rap double in this. These are all mm-hmm. the actors doing their thing. The show is also one of the highest budget TV shows ever made. The first half, part one of season one, had a budget of $120 million. So they don't take any shortcuts on this. Mm-mm. So my first thought watching, just opening up, I don't know if any of you seen The Blues Brothers, that mm-hmm. classic, classic yes. film. That was set in its time. That was a contemporary piece. When I started watching The Get Down, I was transported from modern day to the period of time. I, yeah. I thought this was truly spectacular. It was an event. I really felt it, like pulled into this thing immediately. I was gripped. Mm-hmm. I think Baz Luhrmann has done a, an absolute masterpiece of this work and it will live on as a cultural touchstone at least for many people and is a in some ways a documentary of that time uh, especially with the detail that he goes into um with you know the kingdoms the territories the growth and development of the political landscape the events that rocked new york city through through its turbulent times it was just spectacular and, and you were there you're placed in and watching it through the eyes mm-hmm. of these kids who are growing up on those dark dirty streets and it's it's outstanding i was watching it and my husband was like i mean surely this is exaggerated and you know i was like you know i'll look it up i mean maybe you know, nope nope it was real like the landlords were setting their buildings on fire because they could get a bigger insurance payout and they were just yes crumbling messes because they would just walk away from it and it was just urban decay is not just a makeup line kids like that was real when we think about you had mentioned like detroit and the south side of chicago and places like that that we think of as being areas of extreme violence and urban decay and being sort of ignored by the rest of the world and left to kind of like fester and rot into these things that is what new york city was in the 1970s the largest city in america highest unemployment rate highest crime rates it was an urban nightmare i think one reason that they also 
also it looks very realistic is they cut in news footage from the time when they're talking yeah. about things. And then they also, they'll show the characters and they'll use kind of that grainy old timey footage so that mm-hmm. you see pictures of them that looks like it's you looking back on like a footage of them from the 70s as well. In addition to the more crisp cinematography. they That's do. exactly right. They take you back through the camera lens in like a press broadcast or a news report and then they sort of fade it into the, the real scene with the, mm-hmm. the crystal clarity, the HD quality. It's brutal, isn't it? It's, it's gripping. Yeah. Part of the show really goes into detail about graffiti and we'll come to that later but but also that urban decay as uh as hannah talked about and you just see these broken buildings as the backdrop to so much of what goes on in the show it's yeah it's, it's really well put together it looks like you're looking at a war zone which essentially you are yeah. and the people who are there when they see buildings on fire and you know collapsed lots with rubble in them they don't treat it as anything unusual they become so used to that it's very interesting the way they do it mm-hmm. when we're talking about the way that they make it look they do a really good separation of foreground and background so the people yeah. really pop against that scenery it's very well done the camera work there yeah it's almost like like a pop-up book like mm-hmm. cutouts paper cutouts i enjoyed that effect and the, the cinematography and everything and as far as the historical setting goes it does cover some of the 1977 blackout with massive it just erupted massive looting and crime this was at the height of the son of sam serial killer was running around so when the lights went out people were just freaking out if you contrast the uh, 77 blackout with i think there was one in 2002 or so and there was one in the 60s in new york city people had opened up their homes and were like come stay with us it united new york city in a way that people talk about very positively whereas in 1977 it was just horrific and that was very probably i mean you can't say directly because science but it was because of the decay and the hopelessness and the ongoing drug wars that were happening within the city. You cannot overestimate the importance that that blackout had to the creation of hip-hop and rap as an art form. Without that blackout, it would have never spread beyond small subsections of New York. And they give you a really complex view of all of the creativity that's trying to like bubble to the surface in this area. You see like the graffiti is being an outlet for that. They have all this creativity and this energy, but they don't have a way to focus it. Then when the blackout happens and they're able to steal... All of yeah. that equipment, they're able to bring something out of that, that they now have the tools to grow their art form and create something. I was also, when I was watching this, I was thinking about how some of the great cities in the world have had, you know, at the time, seemingly disastrous fires that have allowed that city to kind of like regrow from those ashes. Well, Chicago is a prime example. Like London, Chicago. And I think that this is very similar here, that that gave people the tools to reach something else. It also gave people the political will. You heard the expression war weariness. And Mm -hmm. to tie that back to the warscape they were living in, people were sick of it. People must have been absolutely like done in. Traumatized. It's traumatic to live in a situation like this. Documented. It's a complex trauma living in poverty that way, especially that kind of poverty and the politicians are just taking ruthless Uh, advantage of that yeah and this is an ongoing theme and becomes a main theme uh, later on in zeke's life Mm -hmm. race for mayor the council offices and the will to make a change yeah i think the corrupt politician 
trope. And of course, it starts out with Cruz. It's kind of problematic trope because in a lot of popular fiction, you have a black or Hispanic councilman who is very corrupt. And some of that might be based in reality in terms of the interaction between organized crime of the day and such. But I think you do really do get the sense that Cruz is trying the best that he can and that he's pushing his weight around and getting school books and desks you know and things like that and then you contrast him with gun later on and you see who the real bad guy is like he brags about it at one point to zeke and he's like are you gonna join me and lift yourself out out of your crushing poverty i think he was a little bit on the nose with that one i don't think he would have framed it as such but i mean maybe he might have well you can never underestimate the ambition of people yeah papa fuerte jimmy smith's in this is a really complex character in a lot of ways but just with how he's dealing with the community. Outsiders constantly refer to him as like a poverty pimp, that he's taking advantage of his community. And then he's telling them when he's like touring them around all these like burning buildings and rubble and stuff, and they're complaining about the graffiti. And he's like, you give me the books and the art supplies and stuff, and it won't be on the wall. It'll be hanging in a museum. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That we don't have the way to give these people the ability to fully realize their visions and their creative urges here. That's one thing I really enjoyed about the characters in this is no one, even people who seem to start out with like minor bits and being almost caricatures as the show goes along become really fully fleshed out. Mm-hmm. Like every single person here, I feel like has a fully realized life. Even like the little background singers that Mylene has, her friends, they end up showing like incredible There's a scene where Mylene's music producer is overdosing from, I think it's heroin that he's talking about. Heroin, yeah. One of the backup singers knows how to bring him out of that. And you find out like her backstory about it. And you realize this person who was a very minor character has a fully realized life too. Mm -hmm. You can draw parallels with this and Game of Thrones and its complexity and the twists and turns and the avenues and the depth of character of people. I think Game of Thrones in the books at least is you have such depth to the character characters and I, yes. I really really felt that that was also true of everyone I saw I completely agree I was thinking as you were talking just now about Annie the drug queen of the yes. uh, Les Inferno I thought even she even she this secondary character has got such depth to her such her background her family her beliefs Mm-hmm. she's a human being a monstrous one for sure but you know she's doing the best she can in, in her eyes for herself and her family I mean there's a reason they call her club Lace Inferno like she clearly is kind of like a devil figure in this but when she's telling people when she's trying to get them to sell drugs and hustle she's telling them you need to provide for your family this is how you can do it don't be lazy you need to go out there and earn that money which I mean you hear that in like mafia movies like you'll hear it in Goodfellas and things like that yeah. that you have to earn to provide for your family but that's also why people join gangs in the first place. They're looking for belonging. Xiao is an orphan and he didn't have anybody else to turn to and she took him in and that's why people get involved in organized crime like that is they're looking for a family. Xiao even acknowledges the mm-hmm. fact that he knows what he's doing is wrong but there's you know, that's his life. And there's one particular scene where he's talking to Booby and Booby's trying to make money. Make money, money, make money, money. Anyway, 
he's trying to get some more money out of the club and Shannon's like no 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 you've got family you've got prospects you've got a way out of here I'm an orphan this is all I've got I'm from the streets well I think that was kind of circling on the idea here of like family and father figures like you see kind of in a lot of cases absence of father figures in here and people who step into that role some of them very successfully some of them not so much right mm-hmm. Ezekiel has and this goes back to kind of like being the bit character right his, his aunt's boyfriend who's kind of like this clownish figure in the beginning but then he has this scene where he turns around and tells him, no one ever gave me anything. No one ever made me read a book a week. No one ever did the things your mom did for you. I didn't have that chance and you do and you're blowing it. So you see that flip of him from this cartoonish buffoon into more of like the father figure. And then you also have Shaolin in a way kind of acts as like a surrogate father figure to a lot of the people in that group. But the Kipling brothers actually have a pretty strong family unit that really stands yeah. out there. That not only are they strong for their family, but you always see scenes of them where they have all the neighborhood kids at their mm-hmm. house for dinner. And that that's kind of like a nexus for the community. I really yeah. like there's a scene in the very, very beginning where he's trying to get the kids to sweep up the sidewalk in front of it. And they're telling him that, you know, this is really old fashioned. And, you know, you're acting like this is like little house on the prairie. And he's like, this is yes, my little yes. house and this is my prairie. Yeah. That you see that pride that he takes in his community and his family. And I thought that was a really strong contrast to a lot of the things you see there. And also in the course of events, and I'll talk just quickly about the lead up to it, there is a particular subplot about a cassette maker, someone who bootlegged the show, and they, the boys, the Kipling brothers, get hold of one of these cassettes and pretend that they're the Grandmaster Flash. (laughs) Boo-boo, you hear on the recording, it says, Grandmaster, and he cuts the sign and says, Boo-boo, instead of Flash. (laughs) And the whole thing is ended by the Caesars, who I think are Yardies, Jamaican Yardies, come in and just wreck the... Uh, the barber shop, yeah, the salon. Which is what Mr. Kipling... <laughs> and his wife, yeah. And his wife own, run, and maintain. Mrs. Kipling actually says in one of the scenes, this is the centre of a community. We've been here for years, and this is how they treat us. She's wounded by it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. She doesn't know the background to it, obviously, at that point. Culturally and historically, the black barber shop is a foundation of the community, just like churches yeah. are. So they have a point when they're saying, it hurts us if the community would turn on us like this and they didn't but mm-hmm. they think that until the brothers do the right thing yeah and own up fess up to it yeah that's good yeah and i thought that was like a great moment of parenting on tv when they were like i'm gonna tan your hide but you did the right thing so you're gonna pay for it you're for gonna sure. pay for it yeah which they probably learned a better lesson from than if he'd beat the snot out of them you know what i mean like they really felt the disappointment of their parents in their choices and labored that reminded me of those like 1980s public service announcements type things you would get in the 80s that like who broke my window like tv ad (laughs) or if you tell the truth character it counts exactly without being too preachy you know i think it was realistic not too preachy put the scene of the revelation in the barbershop next to the scene of the joyous brothers coming home to find their parents throwing their private possessions out of a window (sighs) and then stripping them into their underwear while they are searched, all their clothes are searched, for drugs, for money, and it's like the tough love then becomes strict love. It is a really good scene, that as well. And and put the two together, styles of parenting. Well, and also to sort of contrast that too, with going back to Ramon Cruz, the pastor, when he finds out that his daughter is singing disco, and he beats the shit out of that girl. Yeah, like twice. Yeah. 
and I mean, her mom, like, you know, literally steps physically in between the mm-hmm. two of them, and she has to, like, run screaming, like, out of the house to her relatives. To escape and, the assault. Yeah. Yes. And, I mean, that was tough scene to watch, because it felt very realistic in yes. a lot of ways. Visceral. She was cornered. Yeah. Oof. The thing that bugs me, and take this slightly more generally, is that these people are real. We live amongst them. Mm-hmm. While we may think that that was awful to watch and be part of in terms of we're there with her being, watching a game. This happens all the time. You talk to people and it's like, yeah, that's how my family is. And they don't yeah. really realize that that's wrong or even should be considered hurtful until they're adults or maybe not even at all. You know, it tends to cycle through. I'm, I'm interested in seeing how Mylene handles fame and temptation since she's escaped such a controlling atmosphere. In part two. Especially since she's getting into the disco scene, like right at its height. Orgy of cocaine height. That's going to get intense. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So speaking of orgy of cocaine, the surprise LGBT arc was pretty cool. I mean, I kind of saw it coming with Jaden Smith's character making eyes. Dizzy making eyes at Thor. I think the atmosphere of the gay bar is just being really accepting and close. And they had voguing and actually like, what are they doing? Oh, that's voguing, which Madonna rips off. A decade later, yeah. Completely appropriated a decade later. Which is it's a still ongoing scene, by the way. Like, there are still oh, yeah, voguing yeah. groups. It's- and I liked how they described it when Thor took him there, that this is the free place where people come to be, how they mm-hmm. are. And then he sees, like, a lot of people who are transsexual or cross-dressers, and he's confused he's never seen anything like this. I mean, this is 1977. You have to realize yeah. things that we kind of are used to are brand new here. And he's like, are those men or women? He's like, well, some of them are men who are tired of being women, women who are tired of being men lines there are very fluid and he just kind of like rolls with it i think it's very interesting to see that yeah and i think it was interesting the wording that he and his little what was her name the girl that they both make out with well the way the language that they used to describe them they didn't use the language of the time because they've since drifted into into being slurs like we've moved away from that with our language so i thought that was a really interesting way of scripting those particular identities and the gender spectrum in a way that wouldn't be upsetting to current audiences. It just kind of stood out to me because knowing my queer theory and queer history, I'm like, um... That's not what they called each other back then. You know, one thing we haven't really addressed yet in this very much, which is, you know, a little surprising, this is essentially a musical, is the actual music in here. Yes. I think they do a fantastic job of showing you the history of it. Like, a lot of Mm -hmm. the rappers and, like, kind of, like, the lords of, like, the neighborhood that they're talking to, those are real people. And you get to see different kinds of styles that are there. You get to see kind of a blending of styles. Like, you get to see disco and rap really intertwined with each other in the same way Mm -hmm. that like country music and rock and roll were really intertwined in the beginning and then they start separating out but you see all of these underground scenes together and the music on here is just mind-blowingly good oh it's well picked it's suited to the 
yeah. scenes and I would, like I said transported back it's done by image and sound I love disco music I'm not gonna lie I absolutely love it and I always thought oh it's disco songs I love this stuff <laughs> I love the dancing as well mm-hmm. both the hip hop dancing and disco dancing the break dancing that they do they do it side by side there's a scene in Les Inferno where they have a competition basically between Cadillac and the Get Down Boys it's an absolutely spectacular event with the disco breaking in fantastic choreography so good i was thinking about it disco was really the last time in american music culture where we had like we've had line dances and of course country and western line dancing is still a very big thing she says from fort worth texas But we don't have the Lindy Hop or the Hustle or any of those steps anymore. We just, we've kind of moved away from that and into gyration and freaking as, um, <laughs> as she says at one point when she walks in, that's nasty. And I was sitting there watching. I was like, oh, hold on to your hair, honey, because <laughs> it's about to get real nasty. Oh, it's going to get real bad in the 90s. Watching this made me really realize that disco didn't really die we just started calling them raves and like edm you know that it's essentially the same feeling you know where you have these musical escapes with drugs and yes that those scenes are very similar that the human desire for that hasn't changed Mm -hmm. you know people for whatever reason really do flock to that kind of escape through music and drugs mass gatherings of music and drugs in our companion song this week there is a definite parallel between the disco and church because people are just seeking the crowd energy and the togetherness and the inspiration that comes from both and Mylene is really kind of trying to get out of one of those worlds and into another but in a way she's looking for kind of the same thing oh absolutely I really liked how they broke down how essentially how hip-hop works maybe people aren't as familiar with it where they told you actually how hard it is to work with those two turntables yeah I really I took that for granted in our digital age of drum loops like we have a machine now where you just can click it with your toe and record a, a guitar riff and then play it back over and over while you play a melody over it but back then they were spinning discs that's why they had two i didn't realize that that was why they had two and so when grandmaster flash explains it to shaolin i'm like oh that's why that's one thing i like too is that grandmaster flash did not explain it to him first like he wasn't going to hand over the secret this is one thing you get a lot with grandmaster flash is he has these universal dj rules Mm -hmm. you know these like almost like yoda like sayings or zen sayings that he gives to these rappers to kind of like guide their life a dj has to trust his wing those kind of sayings that kind of give a guideline to what they're progressing and the first thing he does is he gives him like a crayon and Mm -hmm. tells him this is the key this is the secret he tells him you have 24 hours to figure this out gives him no context for it and they eventually they do figure it out you take that crayon you mark where the whackness ends and where (laughs) the get down starts yeah (laughs) <laughs> and you mark that on the record and then you can use that to do it. And there's this scene where Grandmaster Flash starts one record playing, walks all the way around the room giving this big speech and comes back at the exact moment to start the other one. And it just yeah. like blows their mind. He's like, yeah. I'm the master of time. Yeah. Like, I know time. <laughs> I know the time on this record right now. I really enjoyed, like you don't see this a lot in music biopics where they're genuinely struggling and would 
woodshedding, as it's referred to, which harkens back to the old days when you were literally sit in a woodshed and teach yourself how to play the guitar, of Shao just laboring over and over and trying to find it and figure it out and work the two turntables. And just at the point where, as the viewer, we're like, oh my gosh, this is awful. I can't watch anymore. Then he figures it out and they're all excited and you share in that. So I really appreciated as somebody who used to be a musician, like, yeah, it sucks. <laughs> like you sound really bad before you get any good. <laughs> and it's frustrating. It's annoying and you gotta practice. Yeah, and everyone around you is annoyed. <laughs> that as well <laughs> i mean in a lot of ways these are essentially extended like rocky training montages where yeah. they figure out a particular part of hip-hop in a sequence of them being drenched in sweat exhausted wandering around almost like in this trance where they're they're talking to each other they're talking to walls they're staring <laughs> at crayons like they're really trying you get to see that struggle also they're really high <laughs> <laughs> like super high yes well that's another thing is they smoke so much weed so much weed. i don't think there's a scene where the kids kids where like the young adults are alone where they're not high <laughs> you know where they're not smoking weed they're not smoking the <laughs> dankest kush not really i don't know as the old folks tell me this is 1970 pot was not that strong back then this is 1970s weed this is nothing compared to what we have now so i hear sorry let me rephrase <laughs> the dankest contemporary kush yes i think i have a bigger appreciation of disco my parents were a little bit older than the characters in 1977 and my dad was describing how in Austin and San Antonio, all, every single one of the stations switched formats to disco. I think there were like one or two stations mm -hmm. that were not disco, <laughs> that played music, and just how overexposed it got. So I'm really interested to see how Mylene survives the crash and burn of disco that's coming. <laughs> like oh it's God. just going to be and intense. You know it's coming. You know oh, it's yeah. coming. Yeah. They burn the disco records at the baseball game. <laughs> I saw that on a documentary actually quite recently. Mm -hmm. It's a thing that happens. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. The floor just dropped out from underneath everything. So I think maybe washed up Jackie, like this might be kind of a hint at the future of what's going to happen to a lot of these people. They do have a segment where they talk about how disco is produced, the huge production values and mm -hmm. the orchestras you need to have and all this. And then you contrast that with these kids with a couple records and a turntable mm -hmm. and the contrast in how they're produced and the sort of authenticity that you can get from those two different art forms they're really on a collision course like they start out yeah. tied together and they're going to branch off into very mm -hmm. different directions uh. <laughs> i really enjoyed seeing what we would call like more like old school hip-hop hip-hop as existed before you start getting different like subgenres of it before you get gangster rap before you mm -hmm. get other things where you get to see it here and it's kind of pure form and understand why people love this art form and the evolution of it really this series is it's a joy to watch it's a joy to listen to 
two. Characters are amazing. I just, I really love this very much. I couldn't stop watching it. Like I had to make myself stop and like go to bed. Cause I was like, okay, it's Sunday night. <laughs> it's midnight. I have to get up in the morning and go to work. I haven't watched a show where I felt like that. That wasn't the West Wing in a really long time. So I, I, I know, <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. It's like I come home, I sit down on my PC and I think, let's do this. I watch a couple of shows a night and it's worth it. It's good. Mm-hmm. I've been raving about it. I've been telling my friends, tell your friends, watch it. Yeah, absolutely. I order you. <laughs> yes the man with the accent said to do it i mean it has everything it has lovers it has an epic dj quest with the homages to martial arts movies we've got the stars born with mylene the bronx gangsters and all its throwbacks to the black exploitation films of the 70s a corrupt politician arc a surprise lgbt arc right there at the end birth of hip-hop and just the historical setting of it all so go hit it guys yeah watch it watch it go watch it it's tight <laughs> it's not whack that's for it sure. is not whack oh and also most of the cast are people of color almost exclusively so two white people yeah ed koch and gun right those are the only two i can and think you know of what? that didn't bother me at all <laughs> <laughs> honestly i didn't even think about it until you just said it just now but i mean if you're gonna set a story in a time and a place right you choose your time and place for a reason mm-hmm. And this is a story about the Bronx, which is going to be predominantly African-American, Puerto Rican, and that's who's in this. And they didn't drop a Danny Rand into the middle of this. Like, there isn't just some white kid or any white saviors, really. It's like white dammers, coke uh-huh. and gun. They're like, let's tear this place down, put all the people who are like free thinkers <laughs> in prison. The graffiti artists, everyone, just chuck them away, chuck them away. We want to clear up. We want to gentrify this place yeah which is eventually what happens to the bronx well all right let's rate it i'm gonna give it five romantic scenes on a fire escape out of five i'm gonna give it five cocaine fueled (laughs) disco orgies out of five i will give it five crayons that get rid of the whackness (laughs) outstanding choice harold and the purple crayon man <laughs> I've said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. Like when you're marathoning TV shows. Every week, we each bring a show to consider watching. We each vote for a show and we cannot vote for our own show. The show with the most votes is our next show to watch and review. So, I was reading reviews about Five Came Back, and it seems to be an absolutely fantastic show to watch, and I would love to see it, even if we don't pick it. Premise is people go to war and see the propaganda and the effects of propaganda during the war, and I really have this urge to get into and see how things were and how things have changed, and I want to draw comparisons between propaganda of years gone by and the propaganda we see every day on mainstream media and, and mm. also substream media. as well as on the intertubes. So that's why. And that's on Netflix? That is on Netflix, yes. I want to nominate Harlots on Hulu. (laughs) Yes, it's a fun word to say. It's about a bunch of sex workers competing for custom in um, the olden days. 18th century London, yeah. Oh, yeah. Lots of hiked up boobs and painted faces and wigs. Sounds like Saturday night down the disco around where I come from, innit? (laughs) (laughs) 
the the joke being there's no joke. That's actually pretty much the truth. But uh... <laughs> the more things change, the more they stay the they same. They stay the same, exactly. I'm going to recommend a show on Amazon Prime called American Playboy, and this is a sort of documentary series about Hugh Hefner and the rise of Playboy mm. as a magazine, as a cultural institution, kind of the struggles he had to go through, the problems with it, the implications of it, the good things, the bad things, all together in a documentary form that's supposed to be pretty interesting. I know a little bit about how actually Playboy actually got started, and it's a really interesting story, you know, and I think it's, you know, titillating enough to be amusing, (laughs) but it also has lots of things for us to dig into with, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it an oppressive thing? Is it a liberating thing? Does that change over time? So the answer is whoever wins, we all win, right? Either it's boobs... (laughs) <laughs> or it's British boobs, or it's war films. I mean, it's win-win-win as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it's exciting. <laughs> I'm going to go with Harlots, because it's nothing like the old country. I'm going to go with Five Came Back. I'm intrigued. I also will go with Five Came Back. I want to see some propaganda. Ah, the sweet taste of victory. <laughs> <laughs> that means you're hosting next time, Big Shot. Yeah, you know I'm great at it. You can handle DJ Old English. (laughs) DJ Old English? You know, there are some really good rappers from London, so don't let Alistair throw you off. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there are some really good British artists out there, and I do encourage you to open your perspective. Don't just listen to this recycled American twaddle. Get out there. There's a whole world of music. So, that was The Get Down. You can find all kinds of nerd shenanigans, including our other podcast, Four Color Nerds Comic Book Reviews and Broke Gaming at fourcolornerds.com or our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. You can find the podcast on iTunes and Google Play Music. On Stitcher. On SoundCloud. And on Podcast Addict. Be sure to rate. Review. And subscribe. And come back next week for another episode. Until then, keep streaming, nerds. Bye. Bye.